Well, please take a seat, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my name is Josh, and we are so glad that you are here joining us at Beyond Church. To get us kicked off tonight, I wanted to ask you one question. And it's not a question you would expect me to ask a church, but it's a question that I want us to think about, and it's this. What is church? Now, I said it's not a question you'd think me uh, think to ask at church because at the end of the day, we are at church. Isn't that why we're here? Isn't that what we're doing? Uh, and the reason why I want to look at this question is because tonight we are looking uh, particularly at what church is and what it's not and what it's meant to be. Now, uh, last week we wrapped up a series uh, called Moving Forward. Next week we are launching a brand new series uh, called Talking to Myself, which is all about uh, confronting some of those negative voices that are within our heads that often cause us to make bad decisions and live um, beneath our potential. But tonight is a one-off message. It's a one and done. Tonight, we're going to look at one idea uh, for the next 25 minutes. And the one idea we're going to look at is this question. What is church? And on the surface, it seems very simple. We all go, I know what church is. I know what church is. It's a very simple answer. But I can tell you it's not as simple as what it may seem. And I know this because I grew up in church. And when I say I grew up in church, I really mean that. Like, I was born into a Christian family, and I wasn't born just into a Christian family. I was born into a Christian, 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 Christian family. Like, I mean Ned Flanders Christian family. Like, my dad had a caterpillar mustache to go with it. Like, Ned Flanders Christian family, like, super, super Christian. And so ever since I got popped out the womb, I've been in church pretty much. Um, in fact, all 21 years of my life, I've been at church, which means I've attended over a thousand church services. So I know a whole lot about what church is. And what I can tell you from all my experience is that nobody agrees on this question or the answer to this question. There's so many different responses. There are so many different ways in which people answer this question. In fact, people argue over what church is. Some people think kind of church is about dressing up nice. And if you don't dress a certain way, you can't come to church. You've got to wear your Sunday best. Others of it, um, others um, think that church is all about, you know, it's for the goody two-shoes. It's about the place that um, you go if you've got your life together. And if you don't have your life together, you better get your life together in order for you to come to church. Um, because lo and behold, if you walk in and you don't have your life together, God will strike you down with a lightning bolting. And if he doesn't, the church people certainly would. So you better watch out. You better um, get your act together in order to come to church. Or at least that's the way some people see what church is. Others, and I actually believed this when I was a kid, because I was like, where does the pastor and the priest live? Like, well, I guess like that's just their home. Like, the church is just where the priest lives. Um, so that's where the pastor lives. I guess he hangs out there 24-7. I don't really know where he sleeps, but I guess he lives at church. Others, it's more about the architecture. You think, what is church? And you think kind of crosses. You think stained glass windows. You think Sistine Chapel. You think old school. Um, you think there's like tradition and church. Others like combined. There's kind of this um, church and tradition are connected to one another. That church and rituals are connected to one another. And that's what springs to mind when you think, what is church? Others, it's, not, it's less about a building and it's more about the event. Some people, church is all about singing. 
In fact, I've been to some churches uh, that go for three hours long and two and a half of those uh, hours of that service is literally just singing, which I'm a church person, so that's normal. But if you're not a church person, I imagine, and I'm just guessing, that would just be a version of Christian karaoke. Like, what, what other place do you go to and sing you know, words on a screen and, um, and there's lyrics on a screen and you just sing along and not very well, but everybody's doing it. Like, where else do you do that but karaoke, right? So it's all about, you know, it's about what's the event. It's, sometimes it's about a building, but none of that, in fact, is what church was meant to be. And uh, the word church occurs 114 times in the New Testament. It's first introduced by Jesus in a conversation that he has with these very first followers. And he says, I will build my church. And the word he uses, and the word that occurs 114 times in the New Testament that's translated as church is this Greek word, ekklesia. Now, the reason why I'm interested in Greek has nothing to do with the fact I just love Greek food and I'm a little bit peckish and, you know, I might want some Greek food after tonight. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with the fact that um, the original language which Jesus would have spoke, um, or one of the languages he would have spoke, um, and the original language which uh, the books of the New Testament were written in was Greek. And this word, ekklesia, that occurs in the original Greek language means this, followers of Jesus. Church isn't a building. Church isn't an event. It's not about filling out a set list of things. Church equals followers of Jesus. And so if you're somebody who believes in Jesus, if you're somebody who would say, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, you are the church. It's not something you go to. It's not something you do on Sunday. You are the church. Which means this, and why this is really important is if you are the church, it means that you are responsible for being the church. It's not an organization's responsibility, but it's your individual responsibility to be the church because the church equals followers of Jesus. The way um, we say it here at Beyond, we, we embrace this so much so that we embedded it into our core values when we kick things off. The way we say it um, in our core values statement is this, the church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. We are the church. It's not about us because we are the church and we exist for the world. And so tonight, I really just want to answer this one question for you. What does it mean to be the church? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you are the church and you are to be the church. It's your responsibility. Now, I've got good news for you if you're not a follower of Jesus. Tonight, you're off the hook. You don't have to do anything that I talk about. You don't need to apply. If you don't want to apply, this is just about followers of Jesus because at the end of the day, you're not responsible for being the church because, as I said before, followers of Jesus are the church. But you may just want to lean in anyway and listen. And the reason why is this. You may discover tonight that your experience with church, your idea of church is not the idea and the picture that Jesus had in mind when he said, today I will build my church. Some of you may discover, and this will make more sense in a moment, some of you may discover the reason why you push back against Christianity has less to do with who Jesus is and more to do with your experience with the church. And so tonight, you may just want to lean in and get a picture 
of what church is meant to be and what Jesus intended when he said, I will build my church. Now, to answer this question, what does it mean to be the church, I'm going to look at two um, two um, teachings on what it means to be the church. One comes from Jesus um, himself and his most famous um, sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is recorded to us in the book of Matthew. And this um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, refers to his followers of Jesus, or his, his followers uh, twice. He refers to them first off as this, they are the salt of the earth. Um, to be the church is to be the salt of the earth and that's um, just a metaphor for this, to preserve what is good and to confront corruption. Now, uh, we live in kind of the, the 21st century, so we don't really use salt to preserve things. Um, in the first century, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have freezers. So if you wanted to keep things fresh, you use salt in order to preserve the food so that it didn't get poisoned, so that it didn't get bacteria, so that you would remain healthy. Wars were literally over your table. Wars were literally fought over it. Whole economies. Huge. Can you hear me now? No. Hello. Hello. There we are. Uh, beautiful. The salt to be um, salt. When Jesus says the church is the salt of the earth, it means they are to preserve what is good and to co confront corruption. When the church um, faces um, or sees uh, things in the world, they are to confront evil and they to, um, to preserve what is good. They have to have are to have a positive impact in the world. Um, and then Jesus goes on to say the second statement of what the church is to be. Uh, he goes on, to, he says, they are the salt of the earth. And then he says, you are the light of the world. If you are the church, if you're my follower, you are to be the light of the world. And he goes on to explain what exactly he means by that. He says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it underneath a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. Lights are designed to stand out. The church is designed to stand out from the world, not be hidden within it. And it gives light to everyone in the house. It gives light. It's not consumed with itself. Lights aren't designed to serve themselves. They're designed to serve others. It gives light to everyone in the house. And Jesus is just building his illustration. Then he makes it crystal clear what he means by the church is to be the light of the world. And he says this in the next sentence. In the same way, let your light shine before others. And this is why, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That they may see your good deeds, that they may see the way you live, that they may see the way you interact with one another, that they may see the way you talk to one another, the way you um, have conversations with one another, and they would be pointed towards your heavenly father. Through the way you live, when people look in in your life, they would go, hey, that God, they believe in a God and that God is worth following. They wouldn't be like, look at that guy, look at that girl, how great are they? But they would look in your life, however, and they would go, look how great their God is. 
Jesus' point um, is this. To be the church is to reflect who God is. To reflect who God is. When people look in your life, they get a glimpse of who God is. And they would be pointed towards who God is. Which leaves us with this question. Well, who is God? Well, who is God? What is the defining characteristic of who God is? What, what is the defining characteristic of our life? How are we supposed to live in order to reflect who God is? Now, to answer this question, I want to look at, um, we're going to look at what John, Jesus' closest disciple, said about God and what he said about Jesus. Because John, he hung out with Jesus for three whole years. He walked around and he learned from Jesus. And from everything he saw and through everything he experienced, he boiled down God's characteristic down to one word. He said, God is love. God is love. Through all John had seen, through all he had experienced, he boils down God's character to one powerful word love. And notice what John writes. It's God is love. Not God is loving, but God is love. And what's important about that is that God is love. It's not something he does. It's not just something he does, but it's who he is. It's his defining characteristic. And so to be the church is to show God's love to the world. That's why John, in the sentence before, writes this. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, which is so important. So what John is saying here is that there is a connection between the way you love others and your love for God that the two are inseparable, that your love for God is to move you to love others and to show that love in a practical way. And then he goes on to say this, because of this connection, he says, but if anyone does not love, they do not love, uh, if anyone does not love, they do, uh, does not know God, uh, for God is love. They are so interconnected that you can't separate it. That if you love God, you must love other people. The two are connected. And so, bottom line of tonight is simply this. To be the church is to show others the same love that God showed the world. And John explains, us, explains to us what that love is. He says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son, to into the world so that we may have eternal life. God sent his one and only son. God gave up, God gifted, God gave away his one and only son so that we may have eternal life. He gave up in order for our benefit. That's what God's love is. It's giving up. It's sacrificial. It's, it's putting you first, not me first. It's looking to your interests, not my interests. I'm going to love you for your benefit, not my benefit. See, real love is giving love. And that's what John goes on to point out. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us 
and sent his son as a sacrifice to take our sins away. Away our sins. Um, Not that we loved God. In other words, in spite of what we had done, in spite of the fact that we were in opposition to God, God intervened and he extended love anyway. See, the love that uh, God um, demonstrates is not just a happy-feely love. It's not just a butterfly-feely-in-the-stomach love, but it's a practical love where you give to others, where you give to others for their benefit, not your benefit, where you look to their interests um, over your own interests. That is the love that God has shown. And for for, uh, you to be the church, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are to show that love, that practical love, that that beneficial, uh, selfless love to others. Because when you do, um, people will get a glimpse into who God is. So this is what John concludes. He says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, since God gave up his one and only son for us, we surely ought to love one another. And here is why. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. In other words, when you love, when the church loves, when followers of Jesus love others in the way that God loves the world, people get a glimpse. They get a picture of who God is. To be the church is to show others the same love that God showed us. And this is such an important idea. In fact, it's such an important idea that John concludes his whole conversation about this with this final question. I just wanted to share this question with you. He says, if someone says, I love God, but hates, and in this context, hates is simply mistreats, but talks badly about, that hurts a fellow believer, that person is a liar. And here's the kicker. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God, whom we cannot see. If we don't love people who we can see, how can we love God, who we cannot see? See, don't miss what John is saying. This is such an important idea. John writes so much about God's love and how we are to love because it is to be the defining characteristic of the church. But so often... When you're a church person, all of a sudden church can quickly become about you. You know, while it's all about giving to others initially, all of a sudden it becomes about what can I get out of it. And all of a sudden we become self-centered. And if the band doesn't play the songs we want them to play, if the speaker doesn't speak about what we want them to speak about, if we don't like the lights, if we don't like the music, we complain. We don't care whether other people are liking it. We complain because it's not, it's not about them, it's about us. See, but there's a problem with that because when we become self-centered, when we become internally focused, we diminish our capacity to love others because love is others-focused. Love is selfless, not selfish. And in order to extend love to others, the same love that God extended, you are to be others-focused. You need to shift the focus off yourself. The way we say it here at Beyond is that we are spiritual contributors, not consumers. 
We contribute. We give to others. Church isn't about us, but it's about giving to others. It's not about consuming, but it's about contributing. It's not about what can I get, but it's about how can I help. And when you begin to extend the love that God extended, you will shift your mindset from consumer to contributor because a consumer can't love others because a consumer is inward-focused and inward-focused people don't focus on the others and that is what love is all about. It's others-focused. And so to help you love and help you be the church and to ensure that we never become consumer-focused, that we never become inward-focused, I want to give you two practical things that you can do this week. Here at Beyond, we call them Four Mondays because we don't want you just to hear about it on Sunday. We want you to apply it in your life on Monday. And um, the first thing that I want uh, you to do, um, I'm going to give you a question to ask. And I'm going to give you a question to ask, and I want you to ask and apply this question in every single circumstance that you encounter. Now, if you've been a part of Beyond for some time, you're going to be like, I've heard this question before. Don't you uh, have any new material? Um, And the reason why I'm going to ask you this question, again, you know, we asked you this question in 2015, we asked you this question in 2016, and we asked you this question last year in 2017, and guess what? It's 2018, and I'm going to get you to ask this question again. And the reason why is not because I'm I'm running out of material, but is because this is so important to the church. And the question that I want you to ask is this. What does love require of me? In every circumstance, in every situation, when you come eyeball to eyeball with somebody, in every conversation, I want you to ask, what does love require of me? Not what does my feelings require of me, not what does my anger require of me, not what do I want to do, but what does love require of me in this situation? What does love require of me in this conversation? What does love require of me in this relationship? What does love require of me? The reason why we get you to ask this question every year and the reason why we will continue to get you to ask this question is because love is the defining characteristic of the church, or at least it's supposed to be. And when we forget to... When we forget to do what love requires of us, we get in the way of people seeing how much Jesus loves them. Because God is love. It's not something he does, but it's who he is. And when we love, people get a glimpse. But when we fail to love, we get in the way of people seeing how much Jesus loves them. So in every circumstance, every situation, I want you to ask that question, what does love require of me? And to make it super memorable for you so that you don't forget this when you go into your everyday life, I want you, um, at the end of the service, we're going to upload them to our Instagram stories and to our Facebook page. I want you um, to um, make this screensaver. We've created um, a, a group of um, screensavers that say this question, what does love require of, you, of me on them? And after the service, I want you to make that your screensaver, to remind you what does love require of me, to remind you to leverage love in every circumstance. Now, I said there was um, a second application point, and the second application point um, is kind of connected to the first question, what does love require of me? And I want to present you with an opportunity, an opportunity for you to show practical love to people that, um, the people that God loves. 
And the opportunity is this. I want you to serve and go beyond and show practical love um, and show other people some practical love. Go Beyond, on your seats you'll find a card that says Serve at Go Beyond. It's happening August 11th. August 11th um, on a Saturday morning from 8am to 11am. And Go Beyond is an event where we go out to the community and we serve them free of charge. We serve them not because we're going in there to promote our church. In fact, we don't walk in there with flyers. We don't walk in there with a badge or anything like that. We walk in there to show love. We walk in there with a smile and we go, how can we help you? And we don't ask for anything in return. All we do is extend love and we extend it freely because at the end of the day, the defining characteristic of the church is to be love. And so that's one way in which you can demonstrate love this week. Um, It's in a few weeks' time, so um, if you can... If you have that Saturday free, I want you at the end of the service to go up to the bar tables, grab a pen, fill that out, put in your name, put in your contact and put it in the basket on your way out and serve at Go Beyond With Us and show some practical love to other people and begin to leverage love to the people that God showed love to. Show the same love that God showed us. And the reason why this is so important The reason why I want you to show love in every circumstance is because love can change everything. Love can change everything. It can change someone's day. It can change someone's emotional state. When you demonstrate love, it can change everything for somebody. Jesus' love changed everything for everyone and you have the opportunity to change someone's life by asking and applying that question, what does love require of me as we draw to a close I want to talk directly to those of you who want to consider yourself a follower of Jesus because I recognize that you've probably heard this all before Jesus loves you and so does his church but you haven't experienced that you haven't seen that you've attended church you've had friends who are Christians you've known Christians And they weren't loving. In fact, they were quite the opposite. They were hypocritical. They were judgmental. They were hurtful. When you hang out with, when you think of church, when you think of Christians, you don't think of a what does love require of me community, but you think of a a group of judgmental, homophobic, a group of moralists who say that Jesus loves you but really their actions demonstrate that Jesus loves them and forgot about you. And I understand why you may push back against church. And I understand why you may resist everything to do with Christianity. If I had seen what you had seen, if I had experienced what you had experienced, I have no doubt I would feel the exact same way. So I don't hold that against you. But my hope for you is this is that through all you've seen and experienced, that you wouldn't miss Jesus through it all. Because Jesus loves you, even if the church hasn't. Jesus loves you, even if the church hasn't. Even if the church has failed to love you, he loves you regardless. And so, my challenge to you is to go back to your everyday weeks 
and then come back next Sunday and engage with Jesus and find out more about who he is and the love he has for you because he loves you regardless of whether the church has or not. I'm going to pray and the band's going to play a song. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you that you love us and that you gave up your life for us. Uh, We just pray that you would help us to extend that love to other people, to extend that love um, to those that you love, to extend that same love so that others may get a glimpse into who you are. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.